Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, live from Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy. Studio G is where we're located, theblackbirdacademy.com for more information on how you can attend the Blackbird Academy. You can be a studio engineer, audio engineer, uh, in studio, on location. You can make it happen by going to school here at the Blackbird Academy, theblackbirdacademy.com for more info. Chad. Ready to get after it, man. Good morning. Had a nice weekend to refresh, Hutton. I am excited, uh, ready to roll this week. Uh, the final week of the Olympics, a lot to talk about with that. Training camps heating up everywhere. I'm pumped up to get this thing going. Big news to start the show. Carson Wentz, who over the weekend uh, told uh, reporters, or if he didn't tell reporters, the news was out that the Colts were going to attempt to see how long he could go on this foot injury before ruling him out, before putting together a timetable. He was going to forego, forego surgery and try to push through and be ready for week one. That's not going to happen. According to Ian Rappaport, Carson Wentz will have surgery to repair his foot. That's according to Frank Reich, who's back with the team this week. Today's day one, and in his first time back uh, on, on the sideline with the reporters, he's saying Wentz is out. He will have surgery out up to 12 weeks. So... They're potentially not getting him back until Thanksgiving. Um, they could get him back earlier than that, um, but the surgery is going to remove a bone in his foot. So he's, he's out for at least a couple of months, I would presume, based on this news, if not longer. And that opens the door for a big quarterback competition and potentially a big trade for the Colts as they try to gear up for a season right now uh, that does not look as promising in the AFC South for them uh, when you look at their quarterback situation now with Jacob Eason getting the first team reps. Uh, I, I know that they they brought in uh, a quarterback over the weekend, but, but still, uh, when you look at Brett Hundley, Jacob Eason, and Sam Ellinger, that's not Carson Wentz paired with Frank Reich. And the question now remains, are they gonna trade, they're gonna make a move, or do they go into the regular season with this trio? It's a huge development uh, in the NFL, huge development in the AFC South. Could it be a huge development with another team in the AFC South? What about Deshaun Watson? If you're quarterback needy right now like the Colts, um, you know, we talked about it, Hutton, you brought up the, the possibility with the Packers before we knew that Aaron Rodgers was definitely coming back and that he was at least going to be happy or act happy for well, a year. I know it's within the division, but is that something you explore if you're the Colts. They need to explore all options. Um, th those options, too, Chad, would include Nick Foles, who is currently a third-string quarterback uh, in, in the NFL. He's in Chicago right now. Uh, he knows Frank Reich, and he knows that Eagles offense. Uh, would he do that in Indy, where he has a chance to be traded to a team where he could start? I, I would look into Foles. I would kick the tires on Gardner Minshew, they're not naming Trevor Lawrence the starter yet for whatever reason in Jacksonville. He's going to be the starter. And my, my guess is they'll, they'll move on from Gardner Minshew when that is declared. Um, what, what would the asking price be for him? And then Marcus Mariota, the backup quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. The Colts were linked to him whenever he was a free agent prior to signing with Vegas. He wants to be on the West Coast. There's no doubt about that. But... After a year and a half, does he want a starting opportunity? And if he does, would Indianapolis present that role for him? And are the Colts interested in, in trading for Mariota? That's the big thing, too. They, they're trading away a pick for Carson Wentz. Now, he has to play a certain amount of time for them to trade away a first-round pick, so this does impact the draft. He needs to play 75% of the Colts' offensive snaps this season. 
um, to, for the Philadelphia Eagles to receive a first-round pick. If he doesn't, they're getting a second-round pick. But that impacts what, what the Colts would want to trade away in order to bring a quarterback in because they value picks. They haven't traded many of them over the years. I, and crazy enough, if I'm handicapping who I would prefer for Indianapolis of those options you laid out, Marcus Mariota won, Nick Foles two, Gardner Minshew three. Yeah, uh, probably. And and, those are the no, best of some bad options, but if I'm looking at someone who could possibly come in and get the job done uh, for whatever period of time, Thanksgiving, you know, maybe the date for Carson Wentz to come back, I think I'm looking heavy at Marcus Mariota. And I, I, you also have to factor in, too, Wentz is coming back. They've invested in him. So it, knowing that he's back, who do you want starting to push you and get you in contention to either get to the postseason this year or playoff contention this year, again, with the extra game, or to set you up for next year with a healthy Carson Wentz where you're not hamstrung on a number one quarterback. That's where Deshaun Watson doesn't make sense for me because they've invested in Wentz and they know Wentz is the guy. So you're not going to take on a $100 million contract and uncertainty moving forward with Deshaun Watson, um, albeit he's the best option available of, of the options that we're listing. So uh, shake up at the quarterback spot in the NFL to begin and not great news at all uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, but uh, that sets up a, a big Titans discussion uh, later today. We'll check in with PK live from Titans training camp. That is at noon. There was uh, five minutes into the show, Chad, and the, the big storyline over the weekend is the Olympics. Um, we lead with the storyline of the day in the NFL. I watched quite a bit of the Olympics over the weekend, especially the golf, and uh, I know you you were tuned in to uh, a bit more than me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been watching primetime coverage, so uh, a lot of gymnastics, a lot of swimming, obviously. Uh, big news overnight was the U.S. women's national team losing to Canada. Uh, I didn't say spoiler alert there, but everybody well, knows it by now. Here's the way I look at it. If uh, the Today Show mentions it with NBC's coverage, yeah, they're okay with you knowing about it. They're trying to not tell you what goes on with the gymnastics event that they're going to have in primetime that night. This game was never going to appear on anything, e even uh, in tape delay. So U.S. women's national team loses to Canada. Uh, they are now going to go play for a bronze medal. No shot at the gold medal. This has led to a lot of um, uh, reaction of, I'm happy that the U.S. women's national team lost because uh, of the politics and the activism, mainly of Megan Rapinoe, but also of other U.S. women's national team members. Um, I, I, I can't get behind that. I can't. I, I'm sorry. I, I am an American, and uh, I consider myself patriotic, and I'm not going to allow... Uh, the political leanings of a member of the team, regardless if I agree or don't agree with the people on that team to, to make me root for Canada or any other country against my country's national team in the Olympics. I love the Olympics because, first off, it's rare. You know, you have Summer Olympics every four years, so there's some exclusivity about it. But it's the national pride element of it as well. It's that the world can come together and uh, without violence, without anything else, you can root for your country to be superior to the other countries in athletic competitions. When you get yourself involved and worked up over political leanings one way or the other, and it causes you to root against your own country, I'm not for it. And I know a lot of people, I'm hearing from a lot of people who were rooting against the U.S. women's national team. I understand that. I'm never going to be someone, at least to this point, that I get so upset about something that I'm going to root against someone with my own country. Uh, and I woke up this morning to the news that the U.S. women's national team lost, Hutton, and I was upset about it. I was even thinking about, you know, the superiority of women's sports in the United States and how unique it is. And if you go through the history of the Olympics, name me a country that's not a totalitarian or communist state that forces its, women's, uh, its women to play sports that have had near the same success as American women. And I was hoping to build this into a big topic, and part of the topic was going to be the U.S. women's national team and their dominance, and they weren't dominant in this tournament. So it kind of changes things a little bit, but I can't get behind rooting against the United States. Sorry, not going to do it. No, and I always root for the U.S., no yeah. matter what's, what's going on and, and uh, what the political background might be. 
if they're in a race or a diving competition on the pitch or on the hardwood, if the United States are playing, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for my country. I think that's the majority of Americans whenever you're watching the Olympics. I will say, though, that there is a different vibe with this one, with the, the patriotism of this Olympic Games. You, maybe, maybe it's just because everything's happening 14 hours in advance of seeing it. I don't know if that's playing a factor in how I'm viewing this. But I am picking and choosing a lot more live coverage at night. You know, I stay up late, but I'm not staying up till 4 a.m. to watch certain things. Golf, you can watch golf live at 11 p.m. or could. And I'm, I'm watching that live over watching taped coverage on NBC, for instance, because, again, I'm picking and choosing with so many options of what to watch. Also, the whole Peacock aspect of this has, has screwed up the viewing entertainment value because you're not watching Team USA and, and the basketball coverage live and in person like you would flip channels. You physically have to go on, online to the app to get it. So that, that's also impacted my, my viewing of that. So tonight at 11.40 Central Time, the U.S. men's basketball team plays Spain in the quarterfinals, in the knockout stage. Yep. Um, I was thinking about, hey, I'll stay up a little bit later, maybe right. catch the first half first of that. First half. But it's only on Peacock. Right. I'm pretty sure it's not on any of the cable networks. It's not on NBC, so you have to go to Peacock. I don't pay for Peacock, so I'll be waking up in the morning and reading about it on Twitter and going and reading stories about the game and, and discovering what happened, which, look, I think is a mistake by NBC, but... There's a rhyme and reason to doing this, and it's to get more people to pay for Peacock, obviously, uh, and we'll see if it's worked. The television ratings for this certainly have not worked out well for NBC. A lot of advertisers are, are uh, opting into contracts to back out, and they're losing a lot of money because ratings have been so bad. Let me also say this about the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, I, I don't agree with a lot of their equal pay stances because it's still a business in a lot of ways and they're not making as much money as the men's national team, and this is how things are paid out. It's about how much money you make. I do believe that they deserve more money from a uh, from what they're putting out standpoint in terms of wins yeah. compared to the men. So you can make that argument, but it's still a business ultimately. Um, so I'm not completely behind all of that with the U.S. women's national team. But I will give Megan Rapino credit where credit is due. She was very accountable after the loss. And they were talking to their coach, and she stepped in in the press conference and said, let me, let me take over with that. And basically said, it's on the players. The coach was trying to take some of the heat off of them and said, whatever the reason is, and we're going to sit and analyze it for months, we did not have it. There, the chemistry wasn't there. Uh, we were allowing things to get to us. We did not perform. And took it all on the team and said, we have to figure out what went wrong. But ultimately, you can look at this or look at that, but we didn't perform. Hutton, I think we can applaud accountability Absolutely. like that from Megan Rapinoe and the U.S. Women's National Team. Well, they're, they're going in with the expectation of winning gold, right? Yep. And, and there, are, there are some – you're watching certain promos for – there was an Olympic diver last night or maybe two nights ago, Saturday, um, where they're doing a huge profile on her. She was, a, uh, she was like a champion on trampoline, and they taught her how to dive. And, and now she's qualified for the Olympics. She's a medalist in other things, but she was just like, look, I've accomplished everything I want to. I made the Olympic team. Like, I'm here. So there are certain aspects of, okay, I'm pulling for someone because they're just trying to medal versus bronze and silver are not good enough. And that's where we are with the U.S. women's national team of expectations and where you set the bar. Right. Yeah. And when that team does not set the bar uh, or meet that expectation, I want the best players on that team to acknowledge that. Well, we can't win it. it I don't want the. I don't want the mentality to be. Well, we can't win it. That's just how things go sometimes. I, I want that accountability to to meet the expectation level of what we have and what we pull for every four years. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. I applaud the the stance of standing up and saying, look. Uh, we just weren't good enough, and that's not good enough. No, absolutely. And on the YouTube chat right now, I, I said and I wrote in here, I, I can't get behind rooting against the United States. Right. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not going to root against them. Patrick says, why? That team actively disrespects this country and have told half of us that they hate us. They don't deserve to be cheered on. Megan Rapinoe is not the entire team. Let me state that first and foremost. With Whatever you think about her and her activism, not the entire team. 
even though she's become the, the mouthpiece for right. the entire team. Also, part of being American is having civil discourse. Um, you hate half of America. <laughs> I hate to break this to Patrick, but I'm pretty sure you probably also hate half of America. <laughs> so then if you went to an international sporting event, would half of America, I'm assuming the left we're talking about here, say, well, he's already said he hates half of us by voting for this person or saying this on Twitter, so I can't get behind that, and I can't support that. That's BS. Th that's not the way it works. And also, Megan Rapino, who I don't agree with most of the time, is suiting up for the United States of America participating. LeBron James is not. I prefer exactly. Megan Rapino having a problem with things and talking about it and still going to battle for the United States in athletic competition and representing the United States of America, regardless of what she feels about America, regardless if I disagree with it. I'm not saying I disagree with LeBron James about everything, but I do disagree with our best athletes thinking the Olympics are below them and not going and participating unless there is a physical reason that they can't sign up and go play in the Olympics. So let's differentiate between the two because I think that's an important distinction. And again, I like to believe that we can still have civil discourse. And then every four years, not during an election, obviously, but every four years rally around the television and cheer on Americans, regardless of race, regardless of political backgrounds, regardless if they actively hate your stance on different things. We can still get together and do that. And for that reason, I'm not cheering on Canada against the United States in anything, period, full stop. Well said. And let me go back to the Olympic spirit for a moment, because that, that's why we're tuned in, right? Every, every four years with the summer games, every four years with the, with the winter, you, you want to root for your country. And golf is a good example here, pulling for Xander Shoffley as he takes home gold in golf. But the, the Olympic spirit permeated through that tournament over the four days played in, in Tokyo. Um, and, and the example is this. Golf is new to the Olympic Games, and they had some of the best players playing in the 60-man tournament. That means something to them individually. That, that's why I'm rooting for, for Americans to go and bring home the gold. The example would be you have Roy McElroy, who openly said prior to the Games that he sees himself more as English than Irish and he didn't really know if he wanted to go and represent Ireland. Um, but he did anyway, for the good of the sport and for the fabric of the sport in the Olympic Games, he felt he needed to be there. And then once he got there, he admitted he thoroughly enjoyed every aspect of this. Uh, he was in contention um, and early Sunday morning competed the seven-man playoff for bronze. And he said, look, I'm no longer a skeptic of this. I'm in. And this is, this is where the, the sport needs to be. We need to be in the Olympic Games. John Rahm did everything he possibly could to pass COVID protocols, to play in the Olympics. Uh, I love that mentality and that spirit, regardless of where they are on a political spectrum. And beyond that, I think it's important to note that the best golfers on the planet attempted to go and play in Tokyo, despite having played and participated in seven majors over the last year and a half. I mean, we have been inundated with the best tournaments because of COVID. Everything's been jam-packed. They could have easily said, like, you know, this isn't big enough. We're, we're, we're on the major tour, and the Olympics are not that. But instead, they chose the opposite, where they're now making this one of the biggest tournaments every four years. And it, it means something to medal in this tournament. I love that mentality. I'm rooting for that fabric in every single sport. So regardless of where the U.S. women's national team is, I'm pulling for them because they want to be there, yeah. picking up on your LeBron point. And it's, 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 bigger, it's a bigger deal for the, the women than the men in terms of the Olympics. And it's all about what you make it, Hutton. You're right. These golfers that participate in this tournament, they made it into something special for them and their country. Right. And because of that, it becomes a bigger event. And I think we're seeing that with some different things. I wish tennis was bigger uh, to the athletes. It is big for some, but not, unfortunately, for everyone. Um, love the golf. Great example of that, C.T. Pan, who won that seven-player playoff for bronze mm -hmm. when they had seven players tied for third, winning a medal for Chinese Taipei. It was really cool. Like, yeah. And you saw the emotion with that when he won, how excited he was 
to win a bronze. That is as cynical and skeptical as we are about everything. That was cool for me to watch. And just watching the highlights of, of, the, of the golf with Xander Shoffley, who's been so close in multiple majors, and to win a gold medal for the United States gets me excited. Me too. Uh, it gets me excited about these games. I, I love the team events. But when you get the individual event where you can bring legitimate stars to the Olympics, golf, tennis, two of the sports I think about, and you turn it into something that's special for all the participants, it becomes more and more special for those watching. I felt the same way about golf. Hey, by the way, uh, U.S. men's team winning the Gold Cup uh, last night. Chad, you turned it on uh, in, in the extra time, the, the stoppage time, and you were surprised that at FanDuel.com, you had great odds on the United States winning the match over Mexico. I feel like I hit some sort of weird FanDuel sportsbook loophole. A glitch. Where I'm, I'm seeing on Twitter, I didn't even know, <laughs> I, I'll be completely honest, I didn't even know it was happening until I went to Twitter and saw everyone on my timeline talking about the, the U.S. men taking on Mexico in the Gold Cup final. So I go to Fox Sports 1, tune into it in extra time. I think it was in the 111th minute yep. when I turn over. Go to FanDuel, look down. U.S. in its scoreless tie was plus 880 to win. Plus 880. And then the draw was the, the, the minus something, you know, for it to end in a draw. So I went and bet on the U.S., bet $3. I think I won 30 bucks or something like that. But I'm thinking to myself, it's scoreless. And it's in the United States. I know that it was the U.S. B team basically taking on Mexico, but... How on earth did I get those odds at plus 880? Either way, it, it worked out. And they I bet the, on the Americans and they won. They win the gold cup. And yeah. many, many of the, the players that we saw last night will be competing here in Nashville with the U.S. men's national team uh, as they prepare for the World Cup as well, looking to qualify. Gainful, they're there for you. If you're looking to up your gain uh, in the weight room or in your workout, there is nothing more personal then your health. So when it comes to finding the right nutrition supplements to meet your fitness goals, you need a personalized approach. Thankfully, there's now Gainful, the personalized nutrition system that's formulated for your body and goals. Gainful gives you the peace of mind that your, your protein, hydration, pre-workout supplements contain the finest ingredients specifically for you. And you can then pick the flavor that you want based on your unique requirements. They sent me the strawberry lemonade to try out. Delicious. I highly recommend it. Yeah, and you can get started by taking the simple five-minute Gainful quiz. Gainful considers your dietary needs, goals, and unique physiology to personalize your formula. Gainful also delivers your supplements with no shipping charge every month. You can cancel anytime or adapt your plan as needed. All Gainful products are formulated by their on-staff registered dietitians and are backed by pro-level exercise scientists on their science advisory board. And you cannot beat the offer from Gainful. To get $20 off your personalized supplements, go to Gainful.com slash Outkick360. That's Gainful.com slash Outkick360 for $20 off. Gainful, personalized nutrition made for your tastes. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, and that includes YouTube. You can go sign up and subscribe to the channel, Outkick 360 on YouTube. Hit that alert button so you know we go live each and every weekday at noon Eastern across the Outkick.com network and platform. And by doing so, you're automatically entered as a subscriber to the channel to win the Sony and Hertz Odyssey prize pack. Sony. You get the AX3000 car stereo with Apple CarPlay. Sony creates and delivers more entertainment experiences to more people on Earth. And Hertz Odyssey, the 520-watt amp and the 400-watt-powered sub-box and the speaker system. It's over a $2,500 value. Hertz Odyssey, over 30 years of producing the finest mobile electronics for car audio in, in the entire world. Audison.eu is for more information online there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, ring the bell, be alerted when we go live each and every day. You're automatically entered to win. We're drawing a winner for that Sony Hertz Audison prize pack later this month just for one lucky subscriber to the Outkick 360 channel. Mentioned uh, to begin today's show, Carson Wentz will undergo foot surgery, uh, meaning he's out for an extended period of time, months, uh, there is a chance, based on the timetable, that he could come back this season. 
But the Colts now need more at quarterback than what they currently have. And the question is, what names, what teams are we going to see linked to possible trade scenarios? I can tell you that Nick Foles is going to be mentioned a lot because of his relationship with Frank Reich. He's currently the third-string quarterback in Chicago. Um, Marcus Mariota back up to Carr uh, with the Raiders. And the other name that's going to be floated out there is Jimmy Garoppolo. The reason for Garoppolo is would the 49ers like to go ahead and jumpstart the Trey Lance train? My question is, do the Colts want to fully invest in Garoppolo knowing that they've invested in Carson Wentz and they're getting him back? I'm I'm intrigued by the trade value, how much they're willing to invest, knowing that at least a second-round pick is going back to Philadelphia for the trade for Wentz already. And, and now, do they load up for a, what could be what some are saying a 12-week span for a quarterback that is known for getting hurt? They have a fourth-round pick invested in Jacob Eason from Washington, former Georgia Bulldog. And they also have Sam Ellinger there, uh, among others. So is it a short-term solution, or are they trading for a long-term solution? Let me make a baseball comparison with this. Baseball is so much quicker to become a seller. If yeah. you're in the midst of a, a losing season, then oftentimes football will be. My question for the Colts would be, do you mortgage any of your future or just sacrifice this season? And I'm not saying you're going out there to tank it with Jacob Eason, but if you invested in Carson Wentz, which they did, and there's a chance he comes back later this season, just bite the bullet this season. Even if starting Jacob Eason costs you a chance at the playoffs for this year, um, is it worth it to mortgage the future? Uh, the, the example that I have is the Atlanta Braves. I think the Atlanta Braves are taking a foolish approach. I'm probably one of the, the few fans of a team that wants them to be sellers. I don't know why this season is so important to the Braves with everyone injured or suspended that, that they need to, to win, and they're trying to be buyers at the trade deadline. For what? A team that's not very good and that can't get above 500, and that even if they were to squeak into the playoffs, isn't going to do anything, I don't get it. So the Colts, to me, are kind of in a similar situation. I would put them in that next tier of AFC teams, past uh, the Chiefs, Titans, Bills, Browns. I think the Colts are the next level below that. But if you're in the next level below that, is it worth making some sort of trade to go get an impact quarterback that you think could sustain things before Carson Wentz come back, comes back, or maybe even is better than Carson Wentz after you invested in Carson, Carson Wentz. Long story short, how important is this season as opposed to every season after this season for the Colts? Can you not just chalk it up to it's bad luck? And we'll take our chances with our backup quarterback that we drafted. Well, it's difficult to sustain it. It's difficult because they really don't know which Carson Wentz they're getting. So, with that in mind, how much can you factor in two or three years down the road uh, with this? I mean, there's always the draft where you can supplement the quarterback position through the draft if you screw this signing up, right? But for loading up and winning now, they felt like Wentz was the missing piece off of last season behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, they actually have a run game uh, but behind that group, a, a, a three-pack that can, can really run the football well. And then a defense that has vastly improved over what we've seen uh, and what we've historically seen from the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, they, they, they re-signed some players. They, they supplement their defense through the draft. They signed Carson Wentz. They, they think, okay, teaming him up with Frank Reich long-term, that's the right way to go. And I mentioned last week, quarterbacks in year one with Frank Reich are much better off than where they've been previously. Every quarterback, their completion percentage is the highest of their career when they team up with Frank Reich. I think it was going to do a world of good for Carson Wentz not to push things down the field and throw into double coverage. They were going to make things and simplify things within that offense and that structure and, again, balance things out with a run game but now Wentz, who's been hurt in the past, is hurt again. And he's out for what could be three months. And they're sitting there going, how much do we load up on an opportunity for a Garoppolo type? Or do we sit back and say, okay, let's get a backup that's eventually going to be the backup to Carson Wentz. Let's go ahead and bring them in, and they can get us through. Or is the guy Jacob Eason? 
They drafted him in the fourth round and, and allowed him to be the backup last season. Well, Hutton, with those stats you just threw out there about Frank Reich with quarterbacks in their first year. You could say thinking, it with anyone, yeah. Well, you know what's you know what's better than one quarterback under Frank Reich in year one? Two quarterbacks <laughs> in year one with Frank Reich. So go trade for Jimmy Garoppolo or have Jacob Eason be your starter in year one starting for uh, for Frank Reich and then turn it over this is to the, Carson Wentz. This is why they kept Jacoby Brissett and paid him uh, for as long as they did as, as the backup semi-starter even though Phillip Rivers was there. It was for a scenario like this, and now that Brissett's not there, they go out and sign Brett Hundley, who's been the backup in Green Bay, was, was on the market. I, I, I just don't think that they look at that group and say, you know what, this is, this is how we go into the season. I think Reich announcing today that Wentz is going to have surgery, uh, that ties a bow on exactly what they need. And what they need is to go out and trade for, for a quarterback that's currently a backup or a starter that has a rookie, a first-round pick blame behind him and that they know is eventually going to be a backup where they currently are. Uh, I'm not saying that, that that's the plan initially with San Francisco and, and Jimmy Garoppolo, but the writing's on the wall there with the trade-up for Trey Lance. That would be my first call just to see the asking price. But that's going to be steep. And again, they're already giving up a second-round pick next year minimum. Could be a first-round pick. It's likely going to be a second now because Wentz is not going to play and meet that threshold for a certain amount of uh, percentage playing time. So are they willing to part ways with multiple draft picks for next season in order to go get a quarterback now? And really, it, you go into rapid-fire cram session mode to get ready for the season and what would be a new offense for that signal caller and a new team. So a, a lot of decisions to be made and decisions that have to be made quickly for the Indianapolis Colts, who feel like they're close. I mean, they won 11 games last season. They went on the road at Buffalo, uh, were competitive for two or three quarters against the Bills on the road in Orchard Park. Uh, and now they're back thinking that they can load up and make a run again. And keep in mind, Chad, the, the whole trade scenario and just playing for next year changes a bit now that nearly half the league qualifies for the postseason. You have 14 teams in the playoffs, seven from each conference now, and the extra game to give you a boost and a nudge. So even though he's out three months, you still get that 17th week to where you feel like if we're just in, if we're around 500 if we're a game below 500 at the at the at the turn at the at the the Thanksgiving turn we can still make a push and qualify if we go on a run that's the mentality of a team right now that's trying to keep everything together it's also and here's a novel idea for an NFL team and a coaching staff and Frank Reich is the per perfect one to do this how about actual quarterback development and designing a system that fits your quarterback um, because it seems like the moment someone goes down, it's immediately, well, now we got to go get one of these 30 people that can play the quarterback position. Well, you drafted Jacob Eason. He was supposed to go earlier than he did. Yeah. And you got what you think is a bargain on him, right? In the fourth round, I think, is when he went to the yes. Indianapolis. Yes. Well, here's your chance to prove how damn smart you are. Start Jacob Eason. Get an offense that fits him. Win. Wouldn't that be something? We've seen it happen before with Frank Wright when he was with Philadelphia. You're right. Right? I have, they, they lost Carson Wentz. They go to Nick Foles, and he was smart enough to design an offense for Nick Foles. They go on to win a Super Bowl. This could also be, instead of talking about trade possibilities and everything else, this could be another proving ground to show how Frank Reich is better at coaching quarterbacks and designing offense for his quarterback than almost anyone else out there. So where most of the league, and I think I, once I saw this news, I'm thinking, boy, this is disastrous for the Colts in the AFC South and in the AFC, this is also an opportunity for Frank Reich to show once again why he's Frank Reich. And just roll with your backup quarterback the, and let's see what happens. To me, the easiest trade to make right now, and it, it may not be easy because the Bears know that, that the, the matchup would be a nice fit, but Nick Foles as the third-string quarterback, scheduled to make nearly $7 million as the third-string quarterback. If the Bears make it through the preseason healthy at quarterback, aren't they going to keep two? Wouldn't Foles be on the market? You cut the salary? Uh, that's my line of thinking there. You wouldn't keep a third-string quarterback and Nick Foles to make a little over $6 million in 2021. I would pick up the phone and call the Bears, make a simple trade, uh, a fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick, get Foles in, pay him, the, the six or seven million to bridge the gap and Foles comes in and what would be some, there, there would be a poetic aspect to this too where Foles comes in for Wentz, who's hurt, 
bridges the gap, and then Wentz is eventually going to be the guy again in, in Indy. I'm not saying that Foles is all for that, but Foles is on the back end of his career now. And he could join Frank Reich, a, a coach and a coordinator that he knows well. Uh, he goes from third string to first string quickly. And he could jump in and run that offense quicker than a Gardner Minshew or quicker than a Marcus Mariota who have not played with Frank Reich in the past. So there, there's, a, there's an easy solution there if the Bears are willing to part ways with Foles, who is nice insurance right now if you have a situation like what happened with Deshaun Watson in 2017, where he just drops back during warm-ups, throwing against air, and tears his knee up. Well, then you're left with two quarterbacks, and you have a, a viable backup option in Foles. So it makes sense for insurance purposes to keep him around right now. It doesn't make sense to keep him around during the regular season on the roster, making $7 million and inactive every week. Or, best-case scenario for Indianapolis, Jacob Eason is just a younger, better version of Nick Foles. But we haven't heard that. And, and I, I haven't heard anything on Eason, to be fair. No, but I mean, I don't know why we would, honestly. But now we're going to start hearing more about him, good or bad, and what you know the Colts think about him. Well, the difference with Eason But here Eason you've got a me, guy who, who also you know played in the Pac-12, big guy like Nick Foles, bigger arm than Nick Foles right now, different type of quarterback, but... Maybe you have a younger, better version of Foles sitting right there on your roster. By the way, fan that would be best case scenario because then you're not making any any moves, and you got a no, guy who you can develop. And then when Carson Wentz gets back, you know maybe well, you already have the starter in Eason. But if not, you have Carson Wentz coming back this, at some point. This is where we we started the the warm up earlier today on Instagram, which we do by the way ten minutes prior to going live, before the Wentz news hit, the the reports out of Indy were they were going to wait this out and try to get him ready for week one. He wasn't going to participate in practice for the preseason. He was going to push through it, or at least try to. Uh, we know that's not the case. But my question 10 minutes before we went live and this news broke was, well, if they, if they delay the inevitable, if they're pushing surgery until the regular season, and then he actually needs it, he's not going to be able to, to, to play through this foot injury, you're, you're wiping the season of of Carson Wentz and Indianapolis. This at least, at least gives him an opportunity to get back once the procedure, and they're removing a bone from his foot, once the procedure happens, uh, and, and if rehab goes well and the, the healing process goes well, this gives him a chance to play this year as opposed to just saying he's on IR, we're trying to get him ready for 2022. The timetable is a bit weird because Pro Football Talk is saying that it could be as little as a month and a half before Wentz is back, which puts him around week five, week six, puts him to October. Week 12 puts him all the way to Thanksgiving. So where do the Colts really believe Wentz is available? When, it, when is it, and it's likely around halfway, you know, eight, week eight, nine, that's when the talk really picks up for if Wentz is available to rejoin the roster. If it's only half the season, Maybe you do just buy into the three quarterbacks you have and you try to make it. It is a brutal stretch for the Colts right out of the gate. The Titans will play them, by the way, twice prior to Thanksgiving, uh, maybe prior to Halloween, as I try to remember and recall this schedule. They do play them in week three. So the Titans benefit. And FanDuel right now, you can get the Titans minus 115 to win the division. I would jump on that immediately. Uh, I would go to FanDuel.com slash OK360 and jump on those odds immediately if they have not changed over the last five minutes. Uh, Craig Cook says he got the Titans to win the division at minus 115. Those are solid odds for a team that whose odds just drastically improved because Carson Wentz, albeit an unknown, uh, isn't available to start the season opener for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, some other news out there today. And by the way, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to FanDuel. And I'm betting on the Titans to win the division yeah. based on, Absolutely. on your recommendation. Absolutely. Uh, other news out there today, the Mets and uh, Kamar Rocker. Tenth overall pick. Um, I would say the most well-known college baseball player in years uh, because of what he accomplished on the diamond. Chad, you can correct me on that. But I think just as far as names go, yeah. uh, Rocker's the, the most well-known college baseball player in years. And the Mets take him at 10th overall. There was some question of why he fell to 10. Uh, many considered him to be a top six, top five pick, and he kept falling. The Mets selected him at 10th overall and then put up a billboard. Put up a billboard in New York. The Rock. These were all over, all over the city. 
uh, boasting that they have one of their aces uh, joining their rotation soon. The analysts, as the pick was made, said Rocker has a chance, to, Mets fans, you have a chance to see Kamar Rocker in 2022, like right out of the chute. And within, what, three weeks, he goes unsigned. And the Mets choose not to sign him. He goes now back to independent ball. I guess there's a scenario where he go back to college baseball. I don't know how that works. Uh, it's convoluted, to say the least. Um, but reports are he's going to independent ball and then will re-enter the draft a year from now. The Mets don't get it done and don't sign him. And they actually play the system. The, the deal is he did not opt in to a uh, pre-draft MRI process where teams flagged him saying that he needed an MRI on his elbow and his shoulder. Um, he opted not to do that. Most top picks don't do the MRI opt-in. They, they opt out because they know they're going high and they don't want the medical report known across the entire league. They want to keep that small. So that's the thinking there. You're, you're a top 10 pick. You're going to sign with your team. You're going to rehab whatever the process is. You move on. Not every team knows your business. Great. Rocker chose not to do that. But by doing that, um, th that allowed the Mets to not sign him, and they will now have the 11th overall pick in next year's draft as compensation for not signing the 10th overall pick this year because he chose not to opt into that MRI. Because he opted out, the Mets found it's a loophole, but it's a, it's a rule. They can now take the 11th pick next year instead of signing their 10th pick this year as compensation. It's weird. Uh, Rocker and his agent, Scott Boris, uh, they say he's fine. Independent doctors have cleared him. They say he's fine. The Mets say he's not. And they chose not to sign him after drafting him 10th overall. This is a story that's surrounded, with, to me, with a lot of mystery. Uh, first off, I feel bad for Kumar Rocker. Um, the drop to the Mets where he was supposed to go earlier than that and now not signing because initially I thought, oh, it's a health issue. But then you have the Boris Rocker camp saying multiple doctors uh, say he's okay. Vanderbilt is saying he's okay. Ne never missed a start, but the Mets are citing a, an elbow issue um, that's, that's going to be a problem. Now, the Scott Boris part of this is the curveball in the whole thing. Scott Boris, historically, has had difficult dealings with teams. Uh, there's an example right in the state of Tennessee. Luke Koshaver was the number 40 pick back in the day out of Tennessee, signed with Scott Boris, did not like the money the Dodgers were offering with the 40th pick. He did this. He went the independent route that Rocker's going to do now, played independent baseball for a year. He was the number one overall pick the next year by the Kansas City Royals and got paid. Could we see a similar path now for Kumar Rocker as we saw with another Boris agent in Luke Hoshaver? Um, this, I mean, right now, I just feel bad for Kumar Rocker more than anything else. I also think it's weird that if, if you have the option to go back and try to win another national title at Vanderbilt uh, and sign a huge NIL deal, which you're eligible to do now, you could probably make seven figures, I'm guessing, if you're Rocker because you're going to be a top ten pick again if your arm is healthy. Why not go and do that and pitch for Vanderbilt instead of going the independent route? That remains to be seen. Every report I've read from people around baseball well, saying he's going to go the independent route and not back yeah. to Vanderbilt. Isn't there a system flaw here with, with just the way this is set up where he should be able, not just Vandy, he should be able to sign with a Major League Baseball team right now. Yeah. Like if the Mets choose not to sign him and you have an independent doctor and, and another team's doctor clears him, to me, you're a free agent. You should be able to sign with any... I don't understand the Major League Baseball draft system where you now have to go back into the draft instead of allowing the team that drafted you to pass on you. That's fine. That's the Mets' prerogative here. Uh, but the player should also have some reward and not getting signed. The reward would be you're now a free agent to sign with any Major League or Minor League club you so choose instead of having to play independent ball that's separate and apart from the Major League Baseball system. I don't, I don't get that part of it um, from the free agent aspect where, where he cannot go sign with any club and take the highest offer. And I think this is a system that would hurt college baseball and the product, but why not have some sort of contingency draft where after you everything is done, you have the Major League Baseball draft, 
you take the players who did not sign. So the guys who are going to go play college right now and decided not to sign with the team, or the Kumar Rockers that were high picks that did not sign with their team for whatever reason, and then you put them back into a system where there's a pecking order, yes. and you could basically get claimed, mm-hmm. right? So Rocker would then get yeah, claimed, yeah. but then you just get the negotiation window. So if I have a high school player that uh, was drafted by another team later, but they tried to uh, not give him as much money as he wanted, mm-hmm. and I really want that player and I have more money, then I can go back in and say, I'm going to give you this much. Is that what you want, to not go play at uh, Arkansas or, or not go play at Vanderbilt? Then I'll, I'll pay you this much to do that. There's got to be a better way uh, for all of this. But, again, right now I just I really feel bad for Kamar Rocker because it seemed like a perfect fit uh, with the Mets and the way they were promoting this when he got drafted and that it was a, a steal that he was there when the Mets drafted him, and now he's going to go play independent ball for a year. And it's odd because he they think? initially they had an agreement in place for a $6 million contract. Uh, Major League Baseball, if he would have opted into that MRI deal and, and every team had the aspect, the, the Mets would have selected him after this process, um, they would have had to offer him, I believe the qualifying offer is 40% of whatever is slotted to the player in order to get the compensation for next year's draft, which is one pick lower than where you selected the guy. Um, we've seen this in the past. The Astros did this uh, a few years back, maybe a decade ago now, uh, when they ended up drafting Bregman. The year before that, they drafted Bregman number two overall. The year before that, they selected a player number one overall, didn't sign him due to medical, due to the exact issue, got the second pick in the draft the following year and drafted Bregman. So we have seen this in the past work out for the team. I'm not so sure it works out for the player. And, and now the, the medical concerns surround Rocker, no matter what he goes and chooses to do. Uh, coming up, speaking of Major League Baseball, the Dodgers. Speaking of pitching, the Dodgers. They are paying money. They've made some qualifying offers and then some. Chad has some details on just how much money the Dodgers are loading up and spending to win the World Series this year. And it will surprise you when we compare numbers across the entire league. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Now, kick 360 across the Outkick Network, live from Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy. Studio G is where we're located, theblackbirdacademy.com, for more information on how you can attend the Blackbird Academy. You can be a studio engineer, audio engineer, uh, in studio, on location. You can make it happen by going to school here at the Blackbird Academy, theblackbirdacademy.com, for more info. Chad, the Dodgers are spending what right now? So I was at a, uh, a baby shower over the weekend <laughs> and was talking to a, a group of guys. And we, as guys tend to do, we were talking sports uh, over by the appetizer area at the, uh, nice. the baby shower, the couple's baby shower. And uh, we started talking about the Dodgers and how much they're spending and just how it's even possible uh, to outspend to this level. And I brought up the fact that the Dodgers are spending $85 million more than the second-place team. That's not a gap of $85 million to the bottom of baseball to second place. They're outspending the Yankees by $85 million. And talking with someone, we kind of came up with a fun exercise to see what $85 million <laughs> actually means in terms of baseball economics. And if you're watching right now, you can see it. That is the equivalent of... Basically, two Cleveland Indians full teams that they're spending because the Cleveland Indians are spending less than anyone else in baseball on their current roster. The Tigers, Royals, Mariners, Rays, Marlins, Orioles, Pirates, and Indians are all spending $85 million or less on their entire team. The Los Angeles Dodgers, $285 million. So that gap between first and second, you could put one of those teams in that gap, and that's the entire team. So they are spending the Detroit Tigers more than the New York Yankees. Wow. They are spending the Kansas City Royals more. I know both those teams are right at about $85 million in payroll, and then the Pirates and the Indians are down at the bottom of that. That's just insane to me. And it, it's uh, – you know, people look at baseball, and I think that's the number one reason they'll say, this is why I don't like the sport, 
at times because it's not well, even, and the bigger markets and the teams that have money are always going to be better because they spend more. Not always the case. The Rays are a great example who are very competitive. They were in the World Series a year ago. They could get back again this year. Well, they're in that group that's spending less than $85 million. Um, so right now the Dodgers are three games back in the NL West uh, behind the Padres, or excuse me, the Giants. The Padres are right behind the, Gi uh, the Dodgers. So it, it is Giants, Dodgers, Padres in that order. The Dodgers, though, are three and a half games up in the wild card race. So, you know, the, the question is, does loading up allow the Dodgers to take over first place in the West where they get out of that wild card game and it's not just a one-game winner-take-all for advancing? Because then you're really rolling the dice on, on the, the salaries that you're paying, the $285 million. They're, they're banking on the fact that they're going to win the division and then they're a couple series away from the World Series and not having to do that one-game winner-take-all play-in at the wild-card level, they would send the Giants there to, to do that. Currently, the, the wild-card standings, Chad, in the National League, Dodgers, Padres, West is awesome. Uh, then you've got Cardinals, Reds, Cardinals, Phillies, Braves. Um, all those teams made moves at the deadline. Yeah. But none as bold none willing to spend like the Dodgers did. So while the other teams I just mentioned in the wildcard race are trying to win a wildcard spot, you have the Dodgers that made a move to go win their division. And it's just so odd to me, the fine line between buyer and seller yeah. and mentalities yeah, of these different clubs. The Braves are, I think, right now four games back from the Mets in the East. They've got a much better shot at winning the East, and they do getting one of those uh, one of those wild card spots. I think. Yes, they have to win their division. Well, I think the Nationals, uh, before they made all these trades, they were a half game behind the Braves or a game back. So they're only five games out of first. Yet they sell everyone. Cubs too. And start over. And yeah, the Cubs were close to the Braves from a record standpoint. They sell everyone, start over. Meanwhile, the Braves are trying to make moves to to get better. Um, I, I just look. I think the Braves made a mistake. I think they should have been sellers. I think anyone on a short contract, they get rid of them, sell them to a team contending for a World Series, and then look forward to next year where a lot of your guys are coming back uh, from injury or, or you could reset in the offseason and go get another big free agent. But it is crazy to me, that $85 million gap and just what that all represents. Coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour, we are live from Titans training camp. Kaharski is going to jump in the mix. Caleb Farley made his practice debut in a Titans uniform today. We'll get the latest practice report there. Julio Jones left practice early. What's the latest there? What's the status? PK checks in live next on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.